Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm just tuning in. We're talking more about the Supreme Court decision from last week saying that extreme intoxication is a valid defense in some violent crimes. Um, uh, They said it was unconstitutional to deny that as a defense uh, in some instances. The argument was uh, just because you voluntarily got yourself in a state of extreme intoxication, that doesn't mean that you chose to commit a violent act and you could theoretically not be criminally responsible for your actions undertaken while extremely intoxicated. Now, a lot of you are very concerned, a lot of people very concerned about what this this law, this change means in a number of different areas. One of the groups are one of the um, categories of, of groups that were really, really in support of this law was women's advocacy groups, um, people who deal with domestic violence, because think about it, that's the ultimate um, landing point for a lot of what we're talking about here. And it really has them very, very concerned for a number of very, very good reasons. So let's talk a bit about that. We're going to speak with Kat Owens now, who is the project director at Women's Legal Education and Action Fund. Kat, thanks so much for your time. I really appreciate you joining us today. Thanks so much for having me on the show. Now, I'm pretty sure I know the answer to this question, but I'm going to ask it just basically for the, you know, the effect of sort of defining the playing field here. Why would women's advocacy groups be strongly in support of the law that was struck down on Friday? So I would say that our advocacy group um, is less concerned with the law itself and more concerned with the, the impact, the potential impact of the decision. I think it's important to clarify what extreme intoxication is, and that's essentially akin to the conduct of a person, say, who has a seizure or who has a heart attack, who has no control over their actions. If we're talking about someone who's very drunk or very high and maybe they're blacking out, they don't have memory, that's not going to reach that same level. So I think that is the, the category, that automatism category that the decision dealt with. What we really need to make sure is that everyone who's involved in the justice system understands that and applies the law correctly. Yeah, because, I mean, I think a lot of the assumption is, oh, my goodness, now anybody can just say, oh, I was really, really drunk and get away with it. That's not what we're talking about right here. I mean, this is extreme cases. Yes, exactly. And I think that the concern is completely valid because we see with survivors of sexual and gender-based violence that the law fails them constantly. And so I think the concern that, oh, this is going to be a situation where someone can just get drunk and then get off scot-free and have no accountability, I get where that concern comes from. And that's why it's so important that we communicate what this decision means and that we ensure that police, prosecutors, defense lawyers, judges all apply it correctly. Um, And I know there was a lot of concern, and I think this goes to the same thing, trying to make sure everybody understands exactly what this decision means. Because a lot of people were saying, you know, if you're a victim, of domestic violence, sexual violence, whatever the case may be. You've already got the should I report this or not debate that goes on in so many cases, and we know in a lot of cases it's not reported. Now if there's another, well, he was drunk, he's just going to get off anyway. What's the point? I'm not even going to do it. Are you concerned about that? 
I think, yes. I think that there are, like you mentioned, so many barriers that exist already to reporting the fear of not being believed, especially if we're talking about Black and Indigenous survivors' fear of engaging with a justice system that often victimizes them or criminalizes them. um, And so it's not an avenue for them. So I do think that, depending on how the decision is applied, this could be another barrier. But I do think If you took this decision out of the conversation entirely, we have so much work that we need to do on our justice system and on the different options that people have to report this type of violence. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right, because, I mean, this is just the latest. But as as you say, um, a a lot of women in this position feel like the legal system has let them down over and over and over and over long before the decision that came out on Friday, right? Yes, absolutely. And we, we see that. At all stages of the process, we see that in when um, when women and survivors choose to report to police, if they do, we see that in how trials go. We see that in mistakes that are made by rape myths and stereotypes that are used. It is a system that just is not working for survivors. The interesting part of this, and we talked to um, a UFC law professor just before chatting with you, was in their decision, the Supreme Court came out and said, hey, listen, what you've done here is unconstitutional, but here is a way that might work. Uh, We understand what you're trying to do. So this technically would be a possible way for you to get around the problems that you had with the original law. Um, So maybe, just maybe, to be optimistic, this could actually lead to, to progress? Yeah, the Supreme Court definitely did set out some different options that the government can undertake, and that's something definitely they can explore. I think for for LEAF, the, the progress we really want to see is broader than that and is thinking about, well, how do we improve the system that we have and how can we maybe explore different systems that are outside of the criminal justice system for responding to sexual violence? How can we listen to survivors and what they need and, and really create those systems and responses that respond to those needs. Is that work being done, though, Kat? I mean, we've talked, I mean, like, I've been in media for 30 years, and we've talked about this, and it seems like we're still having a lot of the same conversations. Yeah, it's deeply frustrating. Uh, It does feel like we're having the same conversation over and over again. I would say that there are some, um, there are some very good pilot projects being done that are looking at what are called restorative or transformative justice approaches that don't involve the legal system, that involve getting different access to counseling for the parties who are involved, figuring out what what the survivor needs to be sort of repaired or put back into a position that they were before. And there is some promising work that's being done in that space. And I think people are more open to that conversation now, perhaps, than in the past, because we're just seeing how much the criminal justice system continues to fail. Yeah, exactly. And you know what, I guess, to try and put a spin on, at least we're talking about a cat, right? I mean, we're taking a look at the laws around this and recognizing that there's all kinds of problems. Yeah, I think that is definitely something that can be taken from this. And we do see the the coverage that this issue has gotten in the media yeah. uh, and the coverage gender-based violence has gotten more broadly. I do think it's an important conversation for us to be having. It just needs to lead to action. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you coming on and chatting with us about a cat. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you so much for having me. Have a good rest of your day. You too.